You can see if they actually participate in weighing themselves. Okay, Mr. Jones is gaining weight here. We need to get him on the phone. What are you doing? You know, stop eating the hot dogs. You know, <laughs> you know, it, 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 you know. But you intervene early before they end up in the ED, and then hopefully before they end up in the hospital. And you know, a lot of studies have shown that it's very effective. Hello and welcome to the Health Tech Marketing Podcast brought to you by Health Launchpad and HIMSS. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Adam Chirinas. I'm the CEO and founder of Health Launchpad and I'm your host. So marketing to healthcare is really hard and we could all use a little help. So the Health Tech Marketing Podcast is a chance from you to hear from experts in the field, people who are either marketing to healthcare organizations or people at healthcare organizations who can share insights about best practice and how to market and sell to them. And so the aim of this show is to give you practical advice, things that you could apply today to improve your sales and marketing. So this, brought, this part is brought to you by HIMSS, Global Advisor, Thought Leader, and the, the leading uh, member organization who's committed to transforming the healthcare ecosystem. It's also brought to you by Health Launchpad, a marketing consultancy that specializes in helping healthcare technology marketers grow their business. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to our guest, Dr. Jordan Tannenbaum. Jordan is VP, CIO, and CMIO at St. Peter's Healthcare System in New Brunswick, New Jersey. So, Jordan, um, you're one of the few people um, who's truly, you know, almost, I, 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 sorry, I hate to almost say the, a polymath. <laughs> you're both an MD, you hold an MBA and an MPH. And I think it'd be fascinating to start off with. Tell, about, tell us about your story, about how, you, how you, you started in healthcare and then your transition into the technology space. Thank you, Adam. And thank you for having me today. Um, so I am um, a pediatrician, you know, I went to medical school, uh, decided to become a pediatrician, opened my own practice back in 1982. And I was in practice uh, for half that time in private practice. And then as the trend went, we sold our practice to the hospital and I worked uh, as a practice leader and um, continuing my practice for a total of 30 years. And then at the end of 30 years, uh, the first patient I ever touched, whoever delivered, you know, I wasn't delivering the patient, but I was there for the birth. He came in with his baby. And I decided <laughs> that it was time to retire. During the end of my career as a pediatrician, however, my CEO, way before uh, meaningful use, foresaw the advent of the EHR and wanted to get our hospital on an EHR early and went ahead and purchased a product. And since I was one of the few people in the hospital at that time who knew what a mouse was and, and, and understood, you know, a little bit about computers, he says, you're going to be the one who helps us roll this out. <laughs> so we started, you know, rolling it out on the inpatient side. We bought an outpatient product. We went through all the practices and did that. And uh, kind of I developed at that hospital what was then becoming the CMIO role, the Chief Medical Information Officer. So I ended up leaving at that time, at the end of my 30 years, not only having a 30-year career in pediatrics, but having about a four-year career uh, implementing uh, EHRs 
and you know, having served as an early uh, chief medical information officer. Uh, but I uh, was not ready to retire and uh, was uh, interested in still working in industry and was able to procure a job with our vendor, who at that time was McKesson. Yeah. And I worked for McKesson for four years as a physician executive. And in that role, what I did was uh, my initial role was demos and sales. So I was on the sales team and we used to go to hospitals and, and demo the product. And then they shifted us to more of a consultancy, and I was doing uh, interim uh, CMIO roles across the country. They would send me to hospitals all around. Interesting. Patient or optimization. Now, one of the hospitals I ended up uh, being uh, sent to was here at St. Peter's, where I worked as a consultant for a year, uh, because their CMIO had left. And at that time, McKesson had uh, sold, uh, was in the process of selling their uh, IT division. Yes. And uh, it just worked out. They offered me the CMIO job. You know, I didn't know what was happening on the other end. Uh, I'm sure it would have been fine either way, but I decided to, uh, you know, uh, take the CMIO job. Uh, four months after I took the CMIO job, uh, there was a reorganization in, in you know, one of those uh, complete reorganizations of senior staff, and I was tapped to be the CIO. So I inherited the CMIO job and the CIO job, and that's been the same for the last four years. So it's had a steep learning curve. Uh, I am fortunate to have an excellent, excellent crew beneath me. Uh, I have a great department, and uh, they really supported this decision and, uh, you know, taught me a lot on the CIO side, and, uh, you know, we worked very well together. So that's where we stand today. That's how, that's how I got here. What a fascinating journey. So let's change gears a bit and talk about your healthcare system. So, you know, St. Peter's is in a pretty busy, uh, pretty, pretty uh, busy market. Uh, also very, you know, they're, they're also competitive market from a healthcare yeah. system. But, you know, we've all been dealing with um, the you know, one of the most serious events in a generation. So I'm really curious to know. So how has St. Peter's coped with the the pandemic and, and what and, and but maybe more pertinent is what's been the role of technology in helping sort of get through this so um we're, we're about a uh, 478 uh, bed teaching hospital we have one hospital and, and several out, uh, outpatient clinics uh, before the pandemic we had about 20,000 admissions a year we had about 65 to 70,000 uh, admission uh, visits to the ED. Um, we have a medical staff of 1,000, of which 250 are uh, active uh, at the hospital per se. So that's kind of a, the quick overview of where we are. So um, w- when the pandemic hit, uh, we saw, you know, well, New Jersey was one of the early epicenters. It was out west, if you remember, and yep. then right into the tri-state area. So we're all learning as as we went and as uh, one of our other vice presidents says we're building the plane as we're flying it and that was very true for a lot of hospitals early in the pandemic i think uh, our response uh was quick and decisive um you know we we cut off all other care uh that was not urgent we formed teams to do specific uh uh, functions, people were redeployed to do specific functions and, and made sure that that the patients were being 
taken care of as best we could within the context of what we understood the disease at that time. So where did IT came in? Well, IT actually came in in, in a lot of ways. So the first thing that happened was, okay, if you're not necessary to do care here, if your job does not require your body in person, we want you remote. There's no reason to be in the hospital. You know, at that time, we didn't understand the contagion very well. We, we were trying to limit exposure. So everybody had to go remote. Well, fortunately, we had two things in place already. One is Zoom, okay? Yeah. Uh, but the other was we had started our migration to Teams, Microsoft Teams. So we had Teams in place, especially for the IT group. So the IT group on literally a day's notice went totally remote seamlessly because they were already equipped with laptops. They had the VPN connection and uh, we had both Teams and Zoom. So we were ready to go. So on a Tuesday, we said, go home and don't come back. And they never have. They're going to be permanently remote, those that can. Obviously, your desktop people and help desk people really are. Well, some help desk people can be. But we keep some of our help desk people on site. Uh, and all your uh, desktop people have to type mm. things. They're not remote. But everybody else went remote. And they've stayed remote. And we were in place and lucky that we had that kind of ready to go. So... Then we had to do that for other departments that weren't traditionally remote, particularly finance and many other departments. Uh, you know, your, um, your people who are doing the discharge planning, they need to look at the chart and make decisions, but they don't necessarily have to see the patient. So we got them remote. And, you know, they were able to work in the background, getting these people placed in discharge, which was very difficult. If you had a COVID patient that needed to be placed at that time, there was very little place to put them. So um, we got everybody remote. So that was the first thing we did. The second thing that happened was there was a lot of reporting. The HHS and uh, New Jersey Department of Health uh, wanted all this data. And fortunately, the New Jersey Hospital Association stepped up, established a portal that the hospitals in New Jersey all dumped their data into, and they sent it to whoever needed it. So all we had to do is go to their specs. Well, those specs changed every two weeks. So our decision support people, our report writing people were working literally around the clock, mm. weekends, nights, to get the latest version of the data. And then there was all sorts of data definition problems because in the beginning, what's a COVID patient, right? You, you know, a lot of people mm. had, mm. before we really defined the tests and the Criteria. At first, there wasn't even a code for COVID. There wasn't a diagnosis huh. specifically for COVID. So how do you filter those patients out? What markers are you putting in the EMR? How are you going to use those markers to define a patient? How are you going to report on those patients? Or what things do you need to report? And the things that we needed to report it, you know, got broader and broader and, and changed rapidly. So the decision support team, uh, I think, did a fantastic job keeping up with that, uh, working mm -hmm. really hard. Then the other thing that came up uh, was remote monitoring of patients, okay? So uh, rather than having the nurse, you know, in a traditional situation, the nurse will round on the patient every, whatever the acuity of the patient is, check on the patient. And what the nursing asks us is, can you put remote monitoring cameras in the room? 
and centralize the station where we can have one or two RNs. We want to be able to talk to the patient and we want to be able to see the patient remotely. So, just so in the room, in the inpatient room or yeah. room at home? Oh, okay, yeah. The patient. Yeah. So we, we built from scratch, you know, we, we, we cobbled together these, these webcams uh, <laughs> on IV poles, sent them to a central um, station with multiple monitors, and we had an RN or two watching all the patients, it, you know, and was able to communicate with the patients and, and, you know, allow the nurses who were very overwhelmed to do more direct nursing stuff and not have to just check on a patient. Then the sad thing was, of course, a lot of people, uh, you know, there were no visitors. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people were in their terminal stages uh, alone. And I I think this was just devastating. Mm. And uh, we were tasked with getting some kind of communication uh, between families uh, and the person uh, in the hospital. And, you know, we came up with uh, basically, you know, a tablet solution, an iPad, basically. Uh, establishing kind of some kind of Zoom session uh, with that, uh, and that worked out as well. Um, so those were, were some of the things we did uh, that were uh, immediate responses. Uh, and then from there, you know, we've learned a lot of lessons about incident response and coordination and communication. And uh, in fact, just uh, the other day, we had kind of a another, you know, every few months we regroup and say, okay, what do we do right? What do we do wrong? And, you know, one of the things that came up is, you know, our incident response, which was very good, but was really phone-based, maybe could be Teams-based. Huh. And, and, you know, maybe we should do that. What are we doing for communications? Um, as you are well aware, we have a uh, texting solution. Uh, <laughs> so um, did, did we leverage that enough? Could we have expanded that use? Um, uh, so there's a lot, always a lot to think about. Mm. Of course, after it's over, you... You you learn, uh, and that's the idea. If you learn and implement what you think is the right thing, mm. it's a horrible thing to go to. But the next thing that comes, maybe you'll be a little more prepared. Um, so well, that, that's what we. One of the, thank you. Yeah, and as you oh, as you, as Adam, you, one other large. Oh, yeah. thing, let me interrupt you, but telehealth. Yes. Okay, so telehealth was huge, and. Um, we were doing a little bit of telehealth. We had actually established a telehealth solution. Mm. And then uh, the uh, CMS said, look, you don't have to use an approved HIPAA telehealth solution. You can use FaceTime or Google Duo, whatever you mm. want. Those, those uh, products, although great for consumers, were not great for telehealth because the patient had to load, load an app. They, the the uh, provider had to load the app. And... The patient and provider knew each other. You know, the doctors, you know, the patient could call back. <laughs> right. It wasn't good. So we, we went uh, with a temporary solution uh, that we found. And then our EHR vendor quickly in- incorporated uh, telehealth into their product, which was terrific. And we started using that. So, uh, you know, our telehealth, and, and I'm sure you'll hear this throughout the industry. I know on, on other things I've been on uh, listening to people, you know, telehealth just took the boom. It, it just... Yeah floated and uh, showed its benefit that we all knew was sitting there. Um, so uh, that was it is, it, it's it's fascinating how it's become an accelerator yeah. for telehealth and remote patient monitoring and, and, and other things like that. AI is what I've heard. But and as you as you now look ahead, you know, you've 
taking stock of some of the lessons. You know, we're not out of the woods yet, but you know, we're, I'm, I'm sure you're kind of looking ahead over the horizon. So, how is it changing your priorities as a whole organization? And and then, you know, how does that affect your technology decisions? Right. So, I, I think going back to the telehealth, that's one of the biggest things. Now, we were all. I know on the technological side, I think most of us knew what telehealth could do. Uh, but we were held back from reimbursement considerations, especially from CMS. Uh, for instance, uh, in Medicare, you know, at, before COVID, uh, unless the patient was is in a designated rural area, you really couldn't be paid for telehealth. Well, nowhere in New Jersey is a designated rural area. We have a lot of farms. Right. But it wasn't really a true designated rural area. So then when they opened it up and we were able to do all this care, um, you know, it became evident and, and, and uh, Seema Verma said it herself, the genie's out of the bottle. You know, we saw the power of telehealth. And I think that's one thing that, that's carried over. You know, we were doing, you know, maybe dozens of uh, telehealth visits uh, a, a month before COVID. Then we were doing like thousands of telephone visits during COVID. Now we're down to hundreds, but we want to expand that. We really think that that's the market that we can really expand value to the patient and ourselves mm. with more uh, telehealth and more focused telehealth and more mature telehealth. So we're looking at that. Um, what does what, what do you think mature telehealth means? That's, I, that's uh, it's really interesting. I had never heard anybody say that. So mature telehealth is, you know, using telehealth in the right context, right? So, you know, as a physician, you know, you know that at some point you probably have to examine the patient. So you can't do telehealth for everything. Right. But there's a lot of things you can use telehealth for. Low acuity, uh, acute care, and follow-up care. Mm. You know, to be able to say to somebody who you don't need to see uh, in person for follow-up, but you'd like to talk to them and, and, and work through how they're doing, you can do that in, in some cases as follow-up. And, um, you know, many of us did that on the phone. You didn't get paid for that. If you do it as a telehealth visit, you're going to get paid if the, if the uh, current reimbursement uh, system stays. Uh, so that's, that's another element. And then we didn't get into remote patient monitoring as much as some of our peers did. Uh, but I think that is definitely, we were, we were going in that direction before COVID and we hadn't gotten there. Had we gotten there, we would have done a lot better on the discharges, um, you know, getting them out earlier and being mm. able to monitor the home. Uh, but, but that is another area where there's a lot of value in the right patient people with, you know, congestive heart failure, mm. OPD, you know, how are they doing? And then, you know, you get the electronic scale and you can see if they actually participate in weighing themselves okay, Mr. Jones is gaining weight here. We need to get him on the phone. What are you doing? You know, stop eating the hot dogs. You know, <laughs> you, know it, 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 you know, but you intervene early before they end up in the ED and then hopefully before they end up in the hospital. And, you know, a lot of studies have shown that it's very effective. So uh, mm. I think that's the deficit that we have, that we don't have that capability quite yet. It requires a lot of back infrastructure. Who's monitoring all that data? How are you filtering the data? What's the escalation path? There's a lot of infrastructure. We're not there yet. We're getting there. We're doing actually an in inpatient pilot on this, which is a whole other topic yeah. to talk about. But 
Um, we're getting there. We're getting there. And I think a lot of organizations who are there found a lot of value in that as well. Uh, it's truly interesting seeing how, you know, if there's anything good that could possibly be described, I mean, if you can use the word good related with COVID, but anything, the only positive thing is, is that it has sort of got healthcare organizations kind of over a, a over a, a big hurdle in terms of implementing a lot of the things that we've been talking about for a decade. You know, right. a lot of these things have sort of been there in theory and the shift to value-based care, but it sort of feels like this has actually been a forcing function to really get organizations moving towards it because, you know, the benefits to the patients are there, the benefits to the healthcare system, the benefits to the providers. And, you know, it's it's uh, maybe that's the one positive thing will come out of this. Um, I, I want to um, change tax and, and talk about what it's like being a buyer and an influencer. Um, so when, you know, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are marketing and sales folks who are trying to figure out what, how can they engage with folks like yourself in a respectful way that you actually appreciate and want to actually talk with them as opposed to sort of, you know, the opposite. <laughs> what's it, what, what, tell, tell, tell us first of all, sort of like, what's it like, you know, what's your inbox look like? What, what does it feel like to be marketed at? <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, Adam, that's a great point because most of my email, especially external email, is marketing. Uh, cold, let's call it cold calling or cold emailing yeah. uh, about different products. And, you know, there's different approaches, as you well know, to, to how they try to get your attention. Uh, some people call the office. Um, so, you know, um, it, it, it's a constant... Uh, struggle to really balance, you know, looking at that. And, and, you know, to be fair, you know, a lot of the things that, that we get marketed to or about, we already have a solution. We're not in the market for it. We're not going anywhere. Once in a while, and I'm going to say four times a year, <laughs> somebody gets me and say, wow, I ought to contact that person because A, that's the problem we are trying to solve, or B, I had no idea that was in the market, <laughs> that that was a solution, because you just told me I had a problem that I didn't know I had. Uh, or three, I'm unhappy with what I'm doing now, and maybe what you're selling sounds like what I need. But you have to tell me, you know, exactly, you know, it, it, uh, although... It, healthcare is really behind in technology. I think we can all agree. I mean, if you look at most other fields, adoption of technology, especially uh, digital consumer-facing technology, we are behind. But we also do have a lot of technology in place. So you can bet on whatever you're trying to sell me, I probably have. And the fact that you do it isn't enough. You need to tell me how you're better than your competitor or how you're better than the standard solutions in your space that will get my attention, you know, to say, Hey, you know, we know how to collect bills or we know how to uh, uh, do uh, clinical notes. Well, okay. You know, I, I got things to learn. <laughs> Tell me what the benefit is against your competitors, against your space, even if it's cost. Uh, we won't, that, that's something that would probably get my attention. 
So let me, I, I had three things. So first of all, you know, there's the, you know, you, you get, I mean, I, I imagine that your email, you, you probably get 300 emails a day, right? So whatever it is, it's, it's hundreds of emails. So of, over the course of a year, you're getting, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of emails, maybe four are like, yeah, I actually want to respond to those. Not a good hit rate. Um, number two, something you said, which I thought was interesting was, is that telling me about, you, you know, you, you tell me about a problem I didn't know I had. That was really, really an interesting notion. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, you know, sometimes, and I'm trying to think of an example, and I'm, I'm blocking right now, but um, sometimes, you know, you say, you know, this is what we do. And you're thinking, okay, I didn't know there was a much better way to do that. I didn't know there was any other way to right. do that except what you're doing. Um, so, uh, okay, so let me give you without, you know, mentioning names here. Uh, you know, we, we have our usual process of uh, sending bills and doing collections. And a lot of companies come out and say, you know, we can improve, you know, your, your uh, collection rate, we can improve your uh, turnaround. Uh, this company sent me a screenshot of uh, a, a, just one screenshot says, we know that you have this EMR, we work with that EMR. And when a customer, a customer or patient comes to your practice, your registration people come, pull up this screen and have an entire one-shot picture of what's going on and can collect. And the screen was so compelling. And yes. I said, I'm not, I'm not the finance person, but I forwarded it to the finance person because we've been having discussions about how we're going to improve collections, how we're going to, you know, yeah. uh, decrease bad debt, all those usual uh, conversations. I said, this looks like a tool that's so well put together and integrates into our EMR. Uh, what do you think? And, you know, just the screenshot was enough to get a meeting together, which we just had. I don't know where they're going to go with it. Again, I don't know the value of the collection. End. But that was something that solved this problem yeah. in a way that we would not have done. Right. We would we'd not have thought about. And, and, of course, you know, all these companies, which rightly so, you know, they start with one thing and they say, we can also do this, this, and this and create this universe uh, where these are uh, connected uh, products that work for you. Of course, that's what they want to do. They want to sell you more. That's okay. Right. I don't mind that as long as, you know, you're a solid company and you're, you're, you're showing me value. I mean, that, I mean, any, 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 I mean, this is basically any industry. You've got to show value to the buyer. Yeah. There's something about what those guys did where uh, it felt like it was personalized to you. It was like they, because they, they'd taken the time to say, we know you've got this EMR and this is what your people see when they, when they are going through collect doing collections or whatever it happens to be, whatever that financial task is. Really interesting. So very much a sort of a, you know, it, it got your attention because it solved the problem that's relevant it did it in an insightful way but it also felt personalized yes yeah really interesting so i mean what are your pet peeves what are like just like if you could send you know i don't know how many hundreds of thousands of marketers are listening to this but if you could send them one message saying please stop doing this what would that be don't pretend we had an appointment that i missed oh. 
<laughs> Somebody did that to me today. And, they're gonna, and I'm actually going to hold the appointment because I'm going to give them a lesson. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> but that is, you know, sorry we missed our call. Well, I'm, I try to be very diligent in all the meetings and all my calls. And yeah. I do not like to have missed a meeting. And they know that. Yeah. But we never had a call. I don't yeah. know who you are. So don't do that because that you do that. You're, you know, I'm not going to just, you just tune yourself right out. Uh, you know, it's, insult, it's actually insulting. Yeah. It's, it's right. like, it insults your intelligence. And yeah. the other thing is, and this is just common for all, you know, cold calling, you know, an email for me is better than a call. I'm not going to take time out of my day to do a sales call from a cold caller. I'm just not. Right. And uh, I, I try to tell people who call, you know, they start their pitch and I say, listen, I, I, I really don't have time to talk to you right now. You have my email. Usually they have my email from whatever source. I said, just send me what you want me to look at. And, you know, if I'm interested, I'll, I'll let you know. Otherwise, if you don't hear from me, I yeah. guarantee I'll look at your email. If you don't hear from me, I'm not going to, I'm probably not interested at this point. And if I say I'm not interested, just leave me alone. Uh, if I say, please contact me in six months, which I do do, you know, I can't, I, I may be interested, but right now I'm too overwhelmed to, to deal with this or we don't have the money or whatever, but I might want your product in six months. Just put me in your sales force, whatever it is in the CRM, contact, contact me in six months. So you, you, you move from being a physician for 30 years to working for, uh, for working for McKesson. Well, when you, switched over to sort of the, the vendor side. What, what was it, that, what, what surprised you? But it was like, what was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know, it was like that here. <laughs> what was it that, did, was there anything that just really kind of got you, you know, really surprised you? Well, I, I'll tell you, it was a positive surprise. Um, I was a little hesitant to go to the vendor side, although I had never been on the buying side as a physician, you know, in terms of uh, technology, but I had worked closely with the CIO in my CMIO job. And I thought, oh, they're just going to, you know, you know, I'm going to be, you know, a salesman and I'm going to have to, you know, go pitch and do, you know, the company I work for was very sensitive to their customers and their potential customers. Uh, I don't feel like they did a hard push. Now, maybe that was happening outside of my environment. Mm -hmm. uh, but when we came in to do what we did and maybe we we're later in the sales cycle, um, we were very much. Uh, trying to come in as a full partner and, and to give you value where you where we thought you might need it, where you think you might need it. And it was very much of a positive experience. I would say 90% of the demos, uh, we, um, we had a very good experience with the medical, you know, I was dealing with the medical staff, which, you know, can be a tough customer. Um, and some of the CIOs and some of the executives uh, we had a positive experience on these demos. We had a good conversation, mm. um, and it wasn't a matter of, you know, we you need to buy this. It's a matter of we really think this might be a fit for you. What do you think? And if not, you know, in some cases, the product really didn't fit, and we, we all moved on, and that was fine. And in some cases, we thought it would be a fit. Let's explore it further. So mm. I guess my my message, my, my surprise, if you're asking, was it wasn't a hard yeah. sell. Uh, it was a very, it was a very mature uh, process, and I know a lot of organizations do that. Um, so uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised that mm -hmm. way, and uh, I was also pleasantly surprised when customers had issues. The focus was the customer. Nobody wrote off the customer. 
uh, we were sent literally on a, if, if a customer was having a serious issue from the physician side, something that we were involved in, we would be sent at a moment's notice. Uh, one one morning, uh, I got a call. You know, we traveled back then before COVID. <laughs> and um, I remember those days. <laughs> I was sitting at home on a Tuesday morning, and I was scheduled to go that afternoon someplace else. And I, we get a call. This hospital is having a major issue. Uh, can you get out? How, how soon, you know, can you be at this place? How, how soon? And I'm, you know, looking at the bookings. I said, well, I can make a flight in two hours. Okay, get on it. Go, you know, or we're sending this person to uh, meet him at this place and we're going to take care of this. So they immediately responded by sending in the appropriate mm. people uh, when they could. Very interesting. Really interesting to get so that. My experience on that end was was positive. Yes, I understood the sales cycle and the funnel and the, and the you know yeah. the, the the whole back end of you know you know making sales targets and all that. We weren't really in our division affected mm. by that, but we were part of that sales team and saw how it worked. But it was is very much uh, I felt the customer centered mm. uh, experience, which was a pleasant surprise. And uh, you know, but I did understand the. The economics of you know you just can't sell something without making a profit. Got it. It's really interesting perspective. That well, Jordan, uh, it's been a great pleasure here having you today on this podcast. I mean, you've given us a lot to to think about. So I really want to thank you for your time. Um, uh, before we go, I do want to ask you though um, that one, uh, one last question, which is if you could give the audience one piece of practical advice that they could act on today, um, what would that be? This would be something that you've learned in the last few years that you wish you'd known earlier. <laughs> well, I, I think that's, that's, that's kind of a personal question. <laughs> I, I'm going to handle it. You know, I was in practice for 30 years, but I always had this interest in computing and, and uh, all these other things. But, you know, I didn't pursue it because I was a physician. And I think if I was going to do something again, I would say extend yourself, take more risks. If you have that interest, just explore it and see where it goes. You know, um, as you mentioned, you know, I always thought I wanted an MBA. So I went and got an MBA. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but actually it, it ended up helping. And then I uh, got a clinical informatics degree and then I got the uh, Master's of Public Health. because, And I got that before COVID. <laughs> uh, I got the Master's of Public Health because I felt like my medicine was moving in terms of addressing larger societal issues like social determinant of health. So I needed to get that. But I think had I moved earlier in my career towards my interests, my other interests, uh, I think earlier in my career, I could have expanded the way I did now. And I think just take that jump, do what is in your heart and do what you're passionate about. I can't say that enough. It's the same advice I gave my kids. Um, and uh, I, I wish I had taken that earlier. So that's the one thing I would take away from my own retrospective view of myself. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. That's a really great piece of insight and great piece of advice. Thank you. Um, so <clears throat> also, I want to thank our listeners today for listening. And before I want, before you go, I just want to let you know that if you're not subscribing on this to this podcast already, you can uh, subscribe on Apple or Spotify or other podcast channels. It's available across all channels. Um, and you can also view the video to the show if you're not currently viewing the video. Um, and there's a link uh, on the on the sh on the show notes. Uh, we've got a great program of, of guests coming up, so I hope you will subscribe. 
And um, if you've got a topic uh, that you want to cover, um, you can uh, you, you can get hold of me directly. You can either email me at adam at healthlaunchpad.com. Uh, it's adam at healthlaunchpad.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the, uh, I think I'm the only Adam Tarinas out there. So thank you again to Dr. Jordan Tannenbaum. So appreciate your time today. And thank you all for listening. Thank you, Adam. Had a great time.